Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, yeah, we're excited to honor our doctors, nurses, healthcare providers, and uh, we're going to do that in a really special way in just a moment here. Hey, real quick, um, I hope our worship team is, is listening. Can you guys just... Well, let me just put this into context. Last night, Mel and I were at a concert. It was $40 per ticket for like a nationally known musician. And I was uh, standing there thinking, our worship team does this good of a job 52 weekends a year. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. So uh, thank you to Dan Lidstone, who leads that team, Bree and George and Ross, who you see up there regularly, everyone who serves on our worship and our production team. You guys are truly world-class, and uh, it really helps us connect with God every weekend. So grateful for them. And I'm so grateful just seeing how God is using this place and your faithfulness. I mean, we're packed here every weekend, but even when you're not here, you'd be amazed how much God is using this building. Here's a shot of our parking lot 24 hours ago during Cars and Coffee. Uh, we had well over 1,000 people from our community here, well over 700 cars. There were Lamborghinis, there were McLarens, there were Ferraris. It was, it was a beautiful thing. I think God was honored in a big way. So, <laughs> Simultaneous to that, our middle schoolers were here for a, a huge undertaking called Adventure Weekend. That's all the tents that you saw set up out back. And we just have an incredible students team an incredible team of volunteers who work with them. And uh, I'm just so proud of you guys for the way you're going all in to raise the next generation. As a reminder, a week from today, uh, I'll be here, but I'm not going to be standing up here because we're going to have nationally known comedian Michael Jr. He's been on The Tonight Show. He's been, uh, he's starred in, uh, you know, nationally released movies. He's a phenomenal communicator. You're going to laugh a lot more than usual. It's a great weekend to bring a friend. So I believe the tickets for his event are sold out, but weekend services, you don't need a ticket. I'm guessing, based on how full Sundays are on normal weekends, uh, if you can attend Saturday night, that might, um, you might have a better seat on Saturday night, but bring a guest, bring a friend, great opportunity. I love getting to share this stage with people of God who can communicate to you in a way that I never could, and he's one of those. <laughs> he's uh, far more funny than I'll ever be, uh, and he's just a dynamic communicator of God's word. You're going you're gonna to love next weekend. That's a week from today. Well, as I've been praying this week about our doctors, our nurses, and when we say healthcare providers, I'm aware th this is a huge group of people. It's not just doctors and nurses. It's not even just radiologists and those who help get you into the hospital. <laughs> That's right. It's all these people. It's all these people and um, I put this picture up because I was thinking about how glamorous healthcare looks on TV. Uh, for any of you who aren't familiar, this is Grey's Anatomy. Uh, you've also got ER, you've got Scrubs, you've got good old General Hospital. You've got lots of shows that really, 
you know, glamorize what it is to work in healthcare, uh, whether that's behind the scenes as a pharmaceutical scientist or right on the front lines. And here's the thing I think we all know that life for real healthcare providers is not quite like this. Now, if you're here and you're a healthcare provider, we're not saying that you're not this beautiful of a person, okay? Because I'm sure that you are. Uh, but the reality is, we know that life as a healthcare provider is really grueling. And these last two years in particular uh, have been kind of unthinkable. Here's just one image that captures a, a little bit of the fatigue. I mean, you think of how much we normal people hated wearing masks and how uncomfortable they were. Uh, can you imagine for folks who, you know, have to have a mask, you know, really, really tightly secured to their face for hours on end, um, I, I, these pictures of, of doctors and nurses during COVID, uh, I know capture just a very small part of the fatigue that you all, healthcare providers, have been through in this last two years. So as I was praying about how to honor this group, um, I, I had an idea that's a little bit unconventional. So will you guys bear with me as I try something a little different? I, I'm actually going to sit down because I want to tell you a story of uh, a little boy in our community um, whose life was saved by doctors and nurses. But, but ultimately, the story starts with his parents and um, with him having a fever, being lethargic, and uh, them trying ibuprofen and aspirin and all the normal stuff, but the fever just wouldn't go away. And you know that feeling as a parent or a grandparent when your child uh, is sick and they're not getting better and you're trying everything you know. Uh, this family then took their little boy to um, their primary care physician, and he kept an eye on it, and he started to get really concerned. Uh, they could kind of tell that he wasn't quite sure what was going on, and really the remarkable part of this story is the way that their primary care doctor, he just went over and above, worked a lot of nights and weekends, uh, reading up on all the latest literature to try to figure out these bizarre symptoms that were going on with this little boy. Um, swelling of joints, a really red tongue, a fever that just wouldn't come down. Uh, as that doctor started to read, he learned about this really kind of rare disease called Kawasaki disease, that if it goes untreated, the swelling spreads through all the different arteries of the body, uh, and there's a one in four chance if it goes untreated, that swelling spreads to the heart, um, and then that child dies. Uh, it's really common, usually in little boys, usually uh, from about two years old to five years old. That doctor, as he kept doing his research, figured out that it was Kawasaki disease, uh, then worked with a university hospital to get the best treatment available, and they saved the life of that little boy. Uh, when the parents were literally watching him die before their eyes. And if there hadn't been that doctor in that hospital, that little boy wouldn't have made it. And the reason I wanted to start with that story is that that's my story. I'm that little boy. That was me when I was about two years old. I had Kawasaki disease. And if it wasn't for a primary care doctor who just went over and above uh, and a hospital staff that went over and above, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, so what I'm going to do as we honor healthcare providers today is I want to stand up because when I was a kid, 
If there hadn't been doctors and nurses who went over and above, I wouldn't be here today. And if that's you, if in your childhood you had any kind of surgery or operation or you were hospitalized as a kid uh, and you're here today, would you join me in, in standing up just so that our doctors and nurses can get a sense of, you know, look at these people who are here because of you. And go ahead and stay, stand, stay standing. This is going to be a thing where we're all going to be standing eventually. Because uh, the next thing I, I just want to ask, this is, this is more broad, but if at any point in your life, whether in your childhood or now as an adult, you've had to go to the hospital for a surgery, for medication, for something that wouldn't have fixed itself without the intervention of a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist uh, or a medication that was you know, designed and engineered to fix your condition. If that's you, would you join me in standing? That's pretty much most of us in, in Western society, isn't it? I mean, we take it for granted, but most parts of the world don't have this kind of health care. So what I want to do now, um, I'm going to ask those of you who work in health care to sit back down and any of us who don't work in health care to stand up because we're going to give a standing ovation in just a moment. But uh, when I say work in healthcare, I mean if you work at Eli Lilly or in pharmaceuticals, uh, if you're on the front lines, if you're a radiologist, if you're a respiratory therapist, a physical therapist, anything that heals the body or the mind, if you all would sit, go ahead, do it, you all sit down please, because we want to give you a standing ovation, we want to tell you how grateful we are for you. Would you guys join me in doing that? Thank you. Thank you. The rest of you can, can go ahead and be seated. What I love about those of you who give your lives as a vocation to help others is uh, even if you're here and you don't yet believe in God, which was me for a part of my life, whether you know it or not, you're living out every day the heart of God. And we're going to see today that God's heart is to heal and it's not just to heal temporarily or in a moment, but to heal in a lasting manner and to heal the whole person, the mind, the body, and the soul. And as we study this today, I guess I want to ask you if you'd be, just be honest between you and God or you and the universe, where do you need healing in your life right now? Is it in your body? Is it in your mind? Is it in your soul? And specifically for those of you who work in healthcare, I want to talk about the times when you're doing your best to help others, but your capacity does not match the need. That is, you can show up and you can do a great job for your shift, but by the end of your shift, you're exhausted and there are more people. There's just more people than there is capacity. This is true for all of us, whether we're in healthcare or just we love people and we want to help them. I, I know it's true for me as I work to try to heal people's souls that the needs every day outnumber my capacity. And this is a universal tension for any of us who really give ourselves to help humanity is that our compassion, 
our desire to help will at times outweigh our ability to help. There will be days when the needs are overwhelming. And I want to take you into a true story. Maybe it's an unexpected story because it's a day in the life of Jesus where he's meeting the needs of people. And while we believe as Christians that Jesus is fully God, we also believe that when he came to earth, he gave up some of his God abilities, if you will. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself. He lowered himself. And so when we study Jesus' life, we'll see that he got tired like we do. Uh, He couldn't be two places at once, just like we can't. Although God can do that, he had humbled himself into a human form where he could only see so many people at one time. He chose to humble himself in that way. And I want to take you through this day in the life of Jesus. And if you work in the healing industry, I think you're going to relate to just the nonstop challenges that he faces. And if you're here and you need healing, perhaps you'll relate to one of the people who Jesus has an encounter with. We're going to pick up in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, and it says this, as Jesus was saying this, so Jesus is teaching, and he gets interrupted. A leader of the synagogue, that's like the church at the time, comes and kneels before him, and he says this, my daughter has just died. But Jesus, you can bring her back to life again if you'll just come and if you'll just lay your hand on her. I love how Jesus responds. So Jesus and his disciples, they get up right away and they start to go with this man. But while they're literally walking out the door and there's a crowd around them, just then another person who needs his help comes along. A woman who's suffered for 12 years. She's got a medical condition that no one else has been able to heal. And if you're here and you've got a chronic medical condition, that's where this woman was 12 years that she's been dealing with this constant bleeding and she comes up behind Jesus as he's walking and she reaches out in faith. She's just reaching through the crowd to try to touch the edge of Jesus' garments thinking, if I can just touch his robe, because everyone at this time is saying, this is the Messiah, this is God among us. If I could just touch God, I'll be healed. Well, Jesus turns around and when he sees her, I love this word, daughter. He he doesn't say, you know, woman or who are you? He says, daughter. This is how God sees you. You're his daughter or you're his son. And he says, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. I love this one sentence. And the woman was healed at that moment. But remember, Jesus is on his way because a little girl has just died. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he sees this noisy crowd. In this culture, uh, funerals were weeks-long events. In, In the morning, it was a group activity. Everyone would weep and wail, and the funeral music has begun, and all the relatives have gathered already, and Jesus says to them, get out. Get out of the house. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. In other words, Jesus, who heals not only bodies but also souls, says her soul is alive. Yes, it's left her body, but he knows he's got the capacity to reunite the two, and the crowd laughs at him. Notice when you really, really give your effort to help others, there's going to be times that you'll be misunderstood. 
even by the people you're helping. And I think our doctors and nurses are, are well aware of that after these last two years. After the crowd was put aside, however, Jesus went in. So he didn't let their laughing at him stop him. He goes in anyways. He takes the girl by the hand and he raises her from the dead. She stands up. The report of this miracle sweeps through the entire countryside after Jesus left the girl's home. So now at this point, he's healed the woman who'd been sick for 12 years. He's raised the girl from the dead. <laughs> and I know for some of you in healthcare, this is what a typical day is like. Like you're in the middle of helping one person and another person comes. And, and for others of us, maybe you're not in healthcare, but just you're helping your kids or your students. And it's just one thing after another. This is what Jesus' life was like. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men start following along. They can follow because they can hear the crowd. There's an entourage. There's a crowd pressing around Jesus wherever he goes. And within that crowd are these two blind men who are shouting out, Son of David or Messiah, God among us, have mercy on us. Jesus gets to another home and these blind men push their way through the crowd right into the house where Jesus is staying. And Jesus asks them, do you believe that I can make you see? I just wonder for you, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus can heal what's broken in your body or in your mind or in your soul? Well, these two guys did. They say, yes, Lord, we do believe. Then Jesus reaches out and he touches what's broken in them. He touches their eyes and he says, because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. So if you're keeping track now, this is up to four people, four patients who Jesus has healed in just this part of his day. He leaves that place and a demon-possessed man who could not speak gets brought to Jesus. So Jesus casts out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in all of Israel, they exclaimed. Now, here's the third time in this day that Jesus is going to get criticized while he's out helping others. The Pharisees say, well, Jesus can only cast out demons because he's empowered by Satan. <laughs> they don't understand what he's doing, and they're jealous, and so they say he's on the wrong side. But Jesus doesn't let that stop him. And here's a summary, verse 35. This summarizes this day in Jesus' life, but theologians say this verse is really a good summary of all of Jesus' ministry. He did three primary things as he traveled around to towns and villages. He taught in synagogues. Why is that? Because the human mind needs instruction. He announced the good news of the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because every person is a body, a mind, and a soul. And even if your body and mind are perfectly healthy, your body will die at some point in this life from old age, even if you're healthy now. And unless your soul knows the good news that there's a kingdom where there's eternal life, then every healing in this life was just temporary. And so Jesus ministered to the mind. He ministered to the soul so that people would know when they breathe their last breath on earth, they'll wake up in the presence of God. 
where there is no sickness or death. And then the third thing Jesus did, and this was really a demonstration that he was God and that he had power, is that he would miraculously heal every kind of disease and illness of the people who were brought to him. I want you to just imagine in that story that we just read, those encounters Jesus had under the Middle Eastern sun, not traveling in air-conditioned car, but by foot, on dusty, dirty roads, crowds pressing in around. Can you imagine how sweaty Jesus must have been by the end of the encounters that we read? Right? He's teaching hundreds of people, hurry up, you gotta go. A little girl just died. He's rushing, he's on the way. They're interrupted by this woman who's been sick for 12 years. Then the crowd's making fun of him. He raises the girl from the dead. Then the blind men are following him. He heals them. Then here comes the guy who can't speak and is demon possessed. He heals his soul and his body. Can, he had to be sweating under the Middle Eastern sun at this point. I think that's so significant that Jesus. He labored to heal people. It wasn't just that, that he just had a wand. He labored. He moved around. Three activities of Jesus. He taught minds. He healed bodies. And then he saved souls. He preached the good news of the kingdom. And here's what is really interesting to me about this story. This next verse. As Jesus is ministering to all these people. In his limited human form, he can't actually touch all of them at once. Not that God couldn't instantly heal everyone at once, and that will happen in the future for all who've trusted in Jesus. But as a human, Jesus can only heal the people around him there. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love this about Jesus, that almighty God humbled himself, and he sat right where you're sitting. He sat in the crowd. In this moment after a day where just one person after another, he's doing all these healings, and he looks out, and he's thinking, there's so many people. They need a shepherd. They need a guide. And he has compassion the heart of God is compassion for anyone who lacks health for anyone who lacks vitality and especially for those who lack eternal life the heart of God is compassion and even God on earth knew a little bit of what it feels like when there's just so many people to help look at this next verse here's his response seeing how many people need help Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The number of people who need God, the number of people who would turn to God if someone told them, if someone touched them, if someone helped them, there's just so many people who would turn to God, but there's a shortage of workers. There's just not enough people who will set their own comforts aside to actually go out and prioritize helping others. And so what is God's solution when the number of people who need to be helped is greater than the capacity? What is God's solution when the needs are vast, when the needs outnumber our human resources? Here is 
the solution according to Jesus. Verse 38. After saying to his disciples, there's just so many. I have compassion on them. What's the solution first? Pray to God the Father, the Lord of the harvest, the God who's over everything. And pray to him, specifically asking him to send more workers out into his field. So here's my question for you. And this is a good one for the followers of Jesus who are here. When's the last time that your heart was grieved because there was more need than you could meet? Maybe if you work in healthcare, there's more patients that you could see or patients with conditions that you can't solve. Or, or maybe for others of you, it's the direction of the nation morally or other things that you just think, man, the need is greater than my capacity. When's the last time that happened? And the last time that happened, when's the last time that it happened and your response was prayer? Not to hop on social media and say something about it, not to complain about it, but to pray and to pray with faith. This is God. I don't understand it all, but I believe that you're over it. I believe that you are the God of the harvest. You're turning hearts to you. And then listen to the specificity of this prayer. God, I want to pray that you'd send more workers into your harvest field. Now, typically when you hear that verse preached, it's pastors and missionaries. And that's absolutely an application. But every follower of Jesus is to be a worker in the harvest field, whether you're working in a doctor's office or driving a patrol car or an entrepreneur or a teacher or a homemaker. All of us, once we're following Jesus, we're to be workers in this harvest field. I, I just wonder for those of us who kind of know God and we try to walk with God, as your heart gets stirred about the need in the world, are you really praying to the Father Asking him to send out more workers and believing that he will. I showed you that picture earlier of our middle schoolers. Those are, work, those are future workers in the kingdom of God. Some of them already are. They're already telling their classmates about Jesus. Those are future doctors. Those are future lawmakers. Those are future elders in the church. Those are future missionaries and pastors. Those are future faithful people who they're using their entrepreneurial gift in the world to help people. But they're also serving in the church the solution is more workers, and we're to pray and ask God for that. So that, that's part of how we respond when we get overwhelmed by the needs around us. But the second part is not only to pray, it's to partner. Look at this, Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus then calls the 12 together. And while, you know, Jesus being God technically could do anything he wanted, he could have cloned himself and sent out 12 Jesuses, but he's showing us the play. Here's how you run God's play to change the world. You pray to the Father. You believe that as you're um, bringing others along spiritually, whether they're younger than you physically, like our students, or maybe they're, they're older than you, but they're a new believer, and you're going to make a disciple, you're going to train them to be a worker for God, that, that as we do that, then we multiply and we send out clones of Jesus, because he then says, he calls his 12 together, and he's going to send them to towns and villages to do exactly what he's been doing. And so Jesus intentionally, rather than doing this miraculously, he does this part in a way that you and I can do. Because he's making the point, this is the model, this is the play. Serve other people by faith. Work as much as you can. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
and then partner with others. And as you do that, you end up changing the world in ways that you don't always see immediately, but ways that will outlive you and last you. So how can you join God? How can you join God in doing this work? Work with what you've got. Pray to the Lord of the harvest and partner. When you do that, you will see God heal others through you. You'll see him heal their souls. Sometimes you'll see him heal their bodies and their minds as well. Well, I want to show you a little video of some of the healthcare workers here in our church family who are doing exactly this. Uh, they've got limited capacity, but they're working with what they have. And as followers of Jesus, while they're seeing patients, they're also praying for them and they're partnering. Go ahead and take a look. One of my biggest role models in my life was my dad. Um, he had a small dental practice. He was a dentist when I was growing up, and I never really wanted to be a dentist, but I, I saw how he interacted with people that just came to his office, that they were his friends, they trusted him, and uh, just to have the relationship that he had with people as well as being able to take care of them, that's what I really, really interested me. And so as I looked into medicine, I felt like that's where I was supposed to do that. I just think I love to care for people. I mean, that was just the heart of why I went into it. I think the challenges have been just trying to connect with people. You're charting everything, so you're constantly looking at a screen. Um, and my greatest challenge is just meeting them where they're at so they don't feel like they're just another number. But one that comes to mind was just the most recent, just somebody that it was an emergency situation. Um, they were going to go into surgery and they could only have one family member due to COVID. And I work with a wonderful team of nurses. And one of the nurses boldly asked, can we pray for you? And we all gathered around his bed. And it was just one of the most, he grabbed our hands so fast to pray with us. And it was just one of those moments where we just knew he needed something. I never shut off my a work. I'm always thinking about it. I'm on call every third night. If I have a kid that's sick, I really, I just bring that home and, and worry. I, you know, I'm on the computer a lot. I chart. And so it's, a, it's hard to balance that with also taking care of your own, you know, emotional self, spiritual self, and then your family. We actually talked to some people who just wanted to honor healthcare workers and we, we wanted to show you that. Yeah. April of 2019, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer. So I put all my all my effort, all my strength into being positive. And um, just being around the healthcare workers and their positivity was uh, really, it just meant everything to me. They have to leave their problems behind, like we all have issues in life, and they have to leave that behind every day and go in and, and treat you like you're a special person and, and they're gonna give you 100% of their care. Yeah, I just I just want to say thank you to to all the healthcare workers, especially you know during COVID. But in my in my situation with um, with cancer, uh, you guys you know through the Lord's help and through your care and your compassion and your 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 dedication, uh, you guys literally uh, brought me through uh, a very dark time. 
uh, and uh, I'm on the other side now, and I'll, thank you, thank you so much. Um, around 30 weeks pregnant with our daughter, we received some very shocking news um, during a routine ultrasound to check something very minor. We learned that she had um, several critical abnormalities, one uh, at least of which was um, incompatible with life. And from behind the curtain came this angel of a nurse named Maria, and she just hugged me and wrapped her arms around me and just let me cry. And at that time she asked if she could pray with me. And she didn't know that we were a family of faith. Um, she had no idea. But that really started a very, very special bond between um, Maria and our family. And we, we still are in contact with her today. I had uh, emergency surgery a week after another surgery. And the, patient, the nurse just came in and sat and talked to me. And, you know, I was in a dark room and alone, and she just stepped in and just talked and was there for me. Um, and I think that's the biggest part of what they offer their patients is just being there. I get that, that's um, greatly appreciated and makes a big difference. It's such a privilege, you know what I mean? Because you have, especially being a Christian, you can. You can pray with them, and if they're not believers, um, if you're not sure where they're at, you can pray just to yourself, but you've got the privilege of being there at their most vulnerable vulnerable time. It's a huge impact. Um, even doing little things like helping parents get their babies to sleep through the night or to take a bottle well, um, helping with nursing, it, it does. It makes an impact every day, and I think that's why most physicians stick with it. You know, people ask, are you going to retire someday? I'm like, I don't know. I can't see myself doing anything else. So I, I enjoy the people. I enjoy doing what I do. And I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. It's definitely, I view it as a, as a gift from God that I get to do what I do. You know, it's, uh, it's been a calling of my life since I was in college when I felt like this is what I was supposed to do. And, and so when I get to do it, it's really very fulfilling. Like, I, I can't see myself doing anything different. I hope as you're speaking into the lives of young people who are deciding what to do with their life and with their career, um, that, the, that you'll let the Spirit of God lead you uh, as an influencer to inspire them to spend their lives helping others as a follower of Jesus. And healthcare is such a great and tangible expression of that. You know, the reality is this, when you serve like Jesus, when you pray and you partner with others, and you serve like Jesus, God works in big ways. And a lot of times he works in ways bigger than you can see in the moment. A lot of times he's working ahead of you. And that's part of the faith of following Jesus. It's not just the faith that we believe he died on the cross and rose again, and it's by grace through faith that we're saved. That's how we get forgiveness of our sins and know for sure that we're going to heaven, not by us working or achieving, but by faith. But then there's also a faith, not a saving faith, but a daily faith that we trust God's game plan for our lives. Jesus said that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be provided for you. He said that if you seek your own life and you put yourself as the number one priority that you'll lose your life, but if you lay down your life to serve others, you'll find your life. And that's the faith 
of a doctor, a nurse, of any of us who say, I want to join God in healing minds, bodies, and souls. And I might not always see the healing immediately. Some days you do. But other days you just say, I'm just going to run the play the way God said, trusting that he's above it all. He's not limited to my one short lifetime. And when I plant seeds of faith and acts of faith, self-sacrificing moments of sweating and perspiring by faith to serve others, I'm trusting God that when I get to that kingdom that is the good news kingdom and look back on my life, there's going to be people who are there because I followed God's plan by faith. You know, an example of that is a true story. It's one of my favorite stories in medicine. It started with a disaster. It started with an F5 tornado in Rochester, Minnesota in 1883. Tornado devastated uh, this little town in Minnesota. Hundreds of people were killed. Hundreds of kids were orphaned. And in the midst of that devastation, God had planted a woman of faith named Mother Mary Mose. Mother Mary Mose had actually left a family of wealth and privilege and had gone to what was a frontier frontier village at that time, and she had gone there to serve the poor, the needy, the orphans, and the sick. And so after this tornado and all the devastation, she partnered with the local doctor in town. He was just the local country doctor, and they set up kind of a makeshift hospital to help all these people who were injured. And as they did that, she had a vision to build a permanent hospital, And she shared it with the doctor, and he said, no, no, the population of Rochester is not big enough. There's no way they could afford to build a hospital. She said, well, I've got 23 other sisters in my order. We've all given our lives to follow Jesus. We're going to go out and fundraise. And then they raised the money, and they came to the doctor. He said, well, I don't have nurses. She said, okay, we've got the money. We'll build the building. We'll be your nurses. Just tell us what to do, we'll lift the patients, we'll do all the grunt work. And so this doctor said, okay, fine, let's do it. So together they built the first hospital in Rochester, Minnesota. About 30 years later, the hospital would take the name of that doctor. His name was Dr. Mayo. That's how the Mayo Clinic was founded. If you go to the Mayo Clinic today, in the middle of it, you'll see St. Mary's Hospital, named after Mary Mose. If you're not aware, the Mayo Clinic is ranked the number one hospital in the United States. It's ranked the number one hospital in the world. Now, did Mary Mose set out to found the number one hospital in the world? Not at all. And it didn't fully happen in her lifetime. What did she do? She worked with what she had. She partnered with who she could. She prayed to the Lord of the harvest. And she worked with a faith That when we run God's play, God's way, he does bigger things than we could ask or imagine. He does things that outlive us, things that outlast us. And what I love about Mary Moe's story is that within the best healthcare in the history of humanity, the story of Mary Moe's is not an exception that she was a Jesus follower, it's actually the norm. Because I'm a researcher and a nerd, I did the research on this, and here's a a visual that summarizes it. If you were to look at the biggest breakthroughs in medicine, for example, the fact that we understand our immune systems, it's a whole field called immunology, and it was kicked off by a doctor named Edward Jenner, 
who was a follower of Jesus. And if you ask anyone in medicine who knows their medical history, who is the one person who's saved more lives than anyone else in history? It's Edward Jenner. Because his advances in immunology have saved, get this, more than 500 million people's lives. It's about twice the population of the U.S. Edward Jenner's just one of those pictures on that grid to the left. Follower of Jesus, devout Christian. His own journals and writings say, I can't believe people don't realize that it's God who did this through me. The Mayo Clinic, Massachusetts General, Johns Hopkins, Northwestern University. You look at the top 10 hospitals in the world. Every one of them has a story similar to Mary Moe's in the Mayo Clinic. And you can research that for yourself if you don't believe me. It's true of medicine, it's true of hospitals, and it's true in many other areas. Let me put this into perspective for you and then we'll wrap up. Here's average life expectancy if you go back about to the 1500s. Average life expectancy for most of human history was about 40 years. Now, there were people who lived older than 40, but most people, you had about a 1 in 10 chance to make it past age 12. Most people died in childhood because there was no understanding of immunology, of viruses, of diseases. The kind of hospitals that we take for granted did not exist even 300 years ago. And you look at how life expectancy, it rockets up the red line in Europe and the U.S. What was true of Europe and the U.S. at this time in history? They were Christian societies. It's well documented. And the story of Mary Moe's starting a hospital to care for the poor and the sick is the story that's been repeated across all 50 of the United States, across Britain and Germany and France. And as the Western nations have led the world in medical breakthroughs, they have then shared those advances with the world, have taught those learnings to the world. Now, of course, other places in the world that are, are just as smart, now that they have the learnings, are able to uh, advance as well. Uh, I, that chart to me just, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Do we realize like we have twice as many days on earth as most people in history ever had? All right, well, I want to just wrap this up with Mary Moe's story by just inspiring you and encouraging you. Whether you're on the front lines in healthcare, or you're deciding what to do with your career, or you already know how God has called you to serve others, which is the greatest thing you can do in life, joining God in healing bodies, minds, or souls. And some of us are uniquely gifted for one of those, and others of us, we just do our best You join, you do your part in the body of Christ and God will use you beyond your lifetime in ways that you couldn't imagine. Um, This is not planned, but I got a note just last night uh, and I thought it was really interesting timing that there's a, a gal who's with us today, I believe she's with us, named Dana Payne. Dana has a brain tumor and uh, her friend Amber brought her here today uh, because she's having surgery tomorrow on her brain tumor. Um, Amber or Dana, if you guys are here, if you're comfortable to raise your hand, we'd love to know where you guys are at. Okay, in the back there. All right, would you guys mind standing up? We'd love to just pray. If you're friends or family of Dana, um, we just want to pray for you guys. Um, and I guess the rest of you, wherever you are, if you just extend a hand toward Dana, we serve a God who still heals. Um, he, he heals everyone who believes in him for eternity. He doesn't always heal in this life, but we have seen him in this church do 
miraculous healings. Dana's having surgery tomorrow. We're gonna pray for that right now. Father, Lord, in this place, we believe that you're a God who heals. Jesus, we believe these stories. You healed the woman who was sick for 12 years. You opened the eyes of the blind. You raised the dead. Jesus, we place our faith in you for eternal life, believing that because you died on the cross and rose from the dead, our bodies, through faith, will be raised from the dead. Lord, we believe that a a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, all of us who trust in you will be together in a place where there are no brain tumors, where there's no cancer, where there's no sickness, no disease. And Jesus, you've left us as your followers in this world to be agents of your healing to bodies, to minds, to souls. Lord, we lift up Dana to you right now. As she travels down to Nashville to have surgery at the Vanderbilt Medical Center. Lord, we pray specifically for the surgeon, for the oncologist, for every healthcare worker involved. Lord, we pray that you would do a miraculous healing that you would guide hands and minds and eyes and decisions so that that tumor would be completely removed, so that that cancer would never return. Lord, so that there would be full and complete healing for Dana. And God, we'll give you the glory for this. We'll give you the credit for this. Lord, we as a church family, we're so grateful that we have dozens and hundreds of doctors and nurses and healthcare workers in our movement. We just pray today, Lord, that as they go to work later today or tomorrow or in the middle of the night, that they would know that as they work and partner and pray, they're doing an eternal work. Lord, all of us by faith, join ourselves to the work that you began as the great physician, the good healer. Use us like you used Mary Mose to heal minds, to heal bodies, to heal souls in this life and for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.